everything that I was taught about what intuition, what spirit looks like, even through spirituality, I was told was not correct. And I was asked to fit a mold. And because of that, I went down the darkest rabbit hole ever of like despair because I'm now on a spirit level, I am also wrong. It confirmed my worst suspicions. So I already felt like that before going into spirituality. It's not like it made it created something new, but what spirituality did is that it turned my, it turned that whole world upside down in a way that made it more intense. So I feel wrong as a person now just straight up, my existence is wrong, bad and evil, and it should not exist. And I should just take myself out for other people's sake. Hello, and welcome to Be The Wolf. I am your host, Jenea Barnes. Many people struggle to be the fullest, biggest, truest versions of themselves. They bend to fit into other people's ideals of who and what they should be. They tame their brilliance to avoid judgment and gain approval. A long time ago, people attempted to tame the wilderness of Yellowstone National Park by eradicating predators. Taming the wilderness collapsed the ecosystem. But there's hope. In the mid-90s, 41 wolves were introduced into the park and with this, the ecosystem replenished itself and flourished. The wolves did nothing but be exactly who they are meant to be and do what they were born to do. So I say to you, be the wolf. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this episode of Be the Wolf. I am here with Deshad, and we are going to talk about something very important. And it's something that's deep, deep inside a lot of you all, but you probably don't want to admit it. You might even not even know. Might even not even know. Okay, I don't know. <laughs> we might, know. <laughs> you might not know that it's even there lurking in the shadows of your mind, but we're going to talk about this feeling that there, it feels like there's something wrong with you. Like you yourself are just wrong. And I know for me, if once I really was willing to look deep within myself, I realized I had these beliefs that I just thought I did not have the right to exist. Like my being here on earth was wrong. And so we're going to talk about that, that kind of feeling, similar feelings along those lines, sort of how they play out in your life because they affect your life in dramatic ways and you all deserve to have the best lives full of joy. But before we dive into this subject, I want to give Dilshad a moment to connect with all of us and have her tell you all what it is that she does. Oh, that was such a beautiful introduction, Janaya. Like, wow. Like, I mean, that's exactly what we're talking about. And I love that you use the word lurking because mm. that's what it feels like. It feels like a lurker constantly there, you know, but never right. really forefront, just always there lurking. Um, but yeah, that's beautiful. So my name is Dilshad. I'm a spiritual life coach for women. That's at least a marketing term that I've come up with. But I also, I'm a psychic. I'm a ritual guide. I love hosting rituals. I love designing jewelry. I have my own jewelry line. I make medicines. Oh my God, it's all the things. And it, part of the reason why I do all of this stuff is because it ties so closely to my purpose that I identified, which is about creating heaven on earth. And it sounds like such a cheesy thing to say, but when I fully connected with it, I was like, oh yeah, I get to express this heaven on earth. And so, yeah, it's funny because every time I introduce myself, I introduce myself a little bit differently. <laughs> and so this is how it's showing up today. <laughs> I love that. You know, it's the beautiful thing about purpose is that something we can do in many, many ways and it's something that we will never be able to complete in our lifetime. So it gives the mind something positive to focus towards. And having something that you're working on and working towards is one of the key components to being happy. 
And so I love that your purpose is creating heaven on earth because when your lifetime, you won't be able to complete it. <laughs> and it's something, there's so many small ways that you can do to contribute towards that purpose. It is a beautiful thing. So I know what your purpose is, but why, why working with women in this spiritual kind of realm with the rituals and everything else. Why do you do what you do? You know, because I'm number one, because I enjoy it. And number two, because I'm good at it. And, you know, that intersection between you enjoy what you're good at, you enjoy, you enjoy something, you're good at it, and then you offer it as a service. That's, I feel like the perfect trifecta. And I just enjoy doing it. Like, even if I didn't work with women specifically, or I didn't work with anybody else, I would just do it on my own. You know, like it's one of those things. It's like, because the one thing I like about purpose is that it's not only something to focus on, but it's also deeply personal to you. So you get to choose what manifestation or what creation or what physical tangible thing comes out of that purpose and how you want to express it. And so for me, it's like, and, and working with women is one such way, because I feel like women are natural creators of beauty. Mm. Um, they just, they, they, I don't know why, but something they just know. And now, of course, other other genders are also being like that. But women just, I don't know why. It's like kind of like we have this innate ability to do so, and and but we're so we've been so stunted in that department because our definition of beauty is usually defined by somebody else's aesthetic pleasures, and it's not our own. And so that's why working with women is so. I, powerful to me. It's just, they go out and they spread their beauty and their heaven on mm -hmm. earth everywhere they go. Well, yeah. and that's such a big be the wolf thing, right? The more that we are each in our own truest self, it just ripples, the beauty ripples. It can't help but ripple. Like when you are having one of those days where you just feel connected and dropped in and you sense that what you're doing is right for you. You walk down the street in a different way. People respond yeah. to you in a different way. And, and it's a powerful thing. It's, you know, part of why I believe that the more people we have that are being the wolf, that we will rebalance our ecosystem. Yes. And, and that's part of heaven on earth. Like that's like, because we are literally embodying the, our earth, our body, is incorporating our heaven and we walk differently on yeah. the yeah. yeah. And if you've ever seen a wolf walk, like I was telling you, I went to a wolf sanctuary and the way they walk, you know, all animals have this walk, but the way a wolf walks, man, there's just something so poetic about it. <laughs> so yeah. Beautiful. All right. So this feeling of that there being something wrong with you, you work with a lot of women I think one thing that we talked about before was this place of a lot of people being burned by the spiritual community and mm -hmm. being burned by sort of the new age movement. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about that and maybe how it relates to this feeling of there being something wrong with you? Wow, that is not the direction I thought you were going to go, but I'm so glad you went there. I didn't know I was going to go there until just now. It oh, just god. came. Oh my god, because that's part of my mission. Because so much of what the spiritual, so-called spiritual movement has done is that it has actually destroyed people's heavens rather than and made earth a corrupt place to be, as opposed to the opposite of what it should have been doing. So First of all, my really quick introduction to how I came across spiritual work, which is fascinating, because when I was younger, yeah, I had some sense of the divine or whatever, but I didn't, I hated religion, hated it, and I would make fun of it, and I would make fun of people who did it, you know, I was, I was this very angsty teenager, and I didn't understand that there was an alternative to that. I, I, I thought religion was all that there was, so I didn't like the way people were interacting with what they defined as God. But then, of course, I came across different spiritual teachings, specifically through Paulo Coelho, Coelho the alchemist, 
And oh, that was my favorite book for many years. It still might be. I just don't even know. I've, I haven't reevaluated in a while, but yes. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. And the, fun fact, there's a comic book version Ooh. of The Alchemist that's gorgeous and beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Very good. Very good read. Anyway. So that, that opened my mind to, oh, it's not that religion is necessarily wrong. It's that the way people have been taught to interact with spirit is wrong. So anyway, I, I had that in the back of my mind, blah, 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 blah. When I was around 19 or 20, I went to my first psychic. It was what I would call a black magic situation. It was horrifying, something straight out of a horror movie. I was ripped off my money. I think, I think it was a couple of hundred dollars, maybe more, a couple of, like almost a thousand dollars. And this was at a time where I didn't have the money. So I, I really had to, yeah, so I, I, was, I was literally bankrupt uh, from giving this person this much money. But as, and I was terrified by it, but then as the years went by, I was like, wait a minute, what if this amount of power could be used in a positive way? And that started like trickling through my mind. And then I went through even more toxic spiritual teachers who told me that my way of doing things was wrong, that I, one teacher specifically told me that I was one of the guru types who, who basically wanted to manipulate other people, which was fascinating because that's exactly what she was doing. And she projected well, it onto me. Of course, right? Yeah. And, and it was fascinating. And like, the, just like the way I was taught about spiritual and new age movement is like, even, even how to listen to my intuition I was taught that, oh, intuition can only look this way, this soft, sweet yoga teacher voice kind of intuition, as opposed to the way my intuition showed up, which is more like a thunderstorm, you know? And so everything that I was taught about what intuition, what spirit looks like, even through spirituality, I was told was not correct. And I was asked to fit a mold. And because of that, I went down the darkest rabbit hole ever of like despair, because I'm now on a spirit level. I am also wrong. It confirmed my worst suspicions. So I already felt like that before going into spirituality. It's not like it made it, created something new. But what spirituality did is that it turned my, it turned that whole world upside down in a way that made it more intense. So I feel wrong as a person. Now I'm just straight up, um, my existence is wrong, bad and evil, and it should not exist. And I should just take myself out for other people's sake. It's really interesting because, and I've never talked about this to yeah. really anybody except the, for the people that were there. So I was going through this really tough period of time in my 20s. I'll take a sip of tea before I get into this. Uh, so by the way, I'm not drinking pickle juice. This is me being in transition. I'm moving and packing and this is the only glass I have left. So I, I'm using I'm using this olive jar for my coffee. <laughs> so just in case you're wondering, it's not pickle juice. But go ahead. <laughs> so, okay. So I was in my 20s. I was going through a really bad heartbreak. It was like, the heartbreak where I woke up and wanted to end my life every day for like six months, that kind of, that first like devastation. But deep within me, as I shared earlier, I had this belief that I didn't have the right to exist, that I didn't have the right to have anything good, that there was something wrong with me, that I was bad, that I was evil. So that was always there. And in, in the shadows <laughs> lurking in my subconscious mind, and I think what happens for a lot of like psychics and fortune tellers, people have this feeling that there's something wrong with them and they're looking for answers because there is not a lot of, there's not a lot of easily accessible pathways to find your way through that kind of stuff. And when you feel like that, honestly, you're going to be, when you feel like there's something wrong with you, you're going to be subconsciously drawn to the people that are not going to be in that greatest integrity to actually help you through that. And so I went to this fortune teller and, you know, she said this, this curse, she did her trick of whatever it could be real, could be a trick, but I bought into it like literally and just kept feeding the money. And it was like, 
oh, this person that I loved still so much. She said there was this thing that was wrong with them and I could help them. And so of course I wanted to help them. It was preying on my sense of wanting to help everybody. But because of that sense of feeling like I, there was something wrong with me, I was such easy prey. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you for bringing that up uh, because yes, in a way, all the teachers that came to me were so perfect and I chose to learn from that. I'm not saying they came to me to learn lessons, but like I learned so much about who I didn't want to be. I learned about subtle shifts in energy that make people corrupt, that make people, you know, having an agenda. And, and so these experiences really taught me of who I wanted to be and mm -hmm. how I wanted to be better. But I, bef but before that, I just accepted everything as they said, as gospel. And right. I'm so glad you made the distinction between psychics and fortune tellers, because this is one of the things where I felt I was told was wrong, right? Because according to the new age movement, psychics are fortune tellers. They are people that predict your future. They are people who talk to you about your past lives and all of this stuff. And, and I was like, no, actually a psychic is a student and a devotee and a teacher and a looker of the psyche that's why they're called psychics like because they work with the psyche and they're more like they're more like a spiritual psychologist than they are a fortune teller and and so i was going on this road you know down that way and i'm like and everyone's like no Dosha, you got to predict you got to that's what a psychic does and all the clients who would come to me would be like well why can't you tell me when i'm going to get my soulmate why can't you tell me when I'm going to get my job? And I'm like, that's not how this works. <laughs> like, you know, and, and, but, but I would get this feedback even from clients and they'd be like, what is wrong with me? Why can't, why can't I do predictions? Why, sh why, why should I just insist on this way of working? And so again, something's wrong with me. And, and, and the thing of what you said about being a prey is that we, and, and, you know, this is going into a little bit of like, law of attraction work, but you carry that energy of such dehumanizing yourself that you go around attracting people who validate that. Mm -hmm. You validate, and I'm not saying you deserve it or it's because of you, but I'm just right. saying that that's, it, it's like a magnet and you end up in this vicious cycle. Well, you, I mean, another way to look at it is you become what you believe. So my childhood was very confusing. It was... Uh, let's just say my mom was illogical. <laughs> so it, as a child, no matter what I did, if I did this, I was wrong. If I did this, I was wrong. If I did this other thing, if I tried something new, that was wrong too. So I began to form this belief that I am wrong. And neurologically, what happens is that we run these pathways of the habit of being wrong. And so subconsciously, our mind is always trying to recreate those patterns because we're alive and that's what your subconscious mind wants you to be is alive. So, and it's familiar, it's not the unknown. If I was all of a sudden right, that would be new territory. I wouldn't know how that feels. I mean, we can talk about law of attraction and all of that, but we can talk about it from this other angle mm -hmm. as well yeah. in that your subconscious mind is trying to create patterns of familiarity. And so if you believe that you're wrong, you're going to subconsciously ch choose situations where you're wrong. I had this what moment, epiphany moment when I was working with a coach. I was like, oh, my God, this is why I picked this coach was because they could not break me through the thing I needed to break through because I had to keep proving to myself that I was wrong because I had that belief. I was like, oh. Yeah, yeah, and that's, that's perfect because actually it was the last toxic spiritual teacher, the one that told me that I was this awful person, that I needed to hear it said back to me, like my horrible, nasty, evil voice inside of me. I needed someone else to say that back to me and I was like, no. And that's when it was like, oh, that's how I sound internally. And of course, it took some time for me to recuperate and like actually get to that point. But yeah. sometimes we need that mirror back because you wouldn't tolerate somebody else talking to you the way you talk to yourself.
Right. And and the other thing about my epiphany moment was I was standing in in a grocery grocery line, and there was a man in front of me. This was a while ago, and I was studying the law of attraction like in a really deep way. And I was just like asking questions, like, well, if law of attraction is everything, then why does this happen to this person? Why does like these were good people? Blah blah blah. I had all these questions, and I was standing in line behind this guy, and I was really in a deep place of like trying to understand God, which good luck with that. But <laughs> but like <laughs> but like really, I was standing in line, and I was just like, I just need something to understand here, and I I was standing behind this guy, and all I could feel from this guy was this rage that was shocking how much rage was coming off him and 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 normally in that situation what am i trained to say because this is what the new age community would do oh he's got such a bad vibe oh my god like you know such a bad vibe like all bad vibes and i'm like okay so his point of attraction is this rage and therefore i am matching it with my point of attraction of judgment and cruelty and meanness and i'm like wait a minute so this is law of attraction on a really horrible scale this is like the base level law of attraction i was like but but i'm noticing that this is what's happening so can i just plug in a little bit deeper and i go a little bit deeper and i realize that this is someone who is really really tortured on the inside like i'm getting really severe childhood abuse like all this stuff coming off of him and i so i just stand there and i'm like so which one am i going to resonate am i going to resonate with this really rageful horrible person that's giving bad vibes or am i am i going to talk to the part of him that's that's really afraid and sad and so i just remember tapping him on the shoulder and just being like would you like a chocolate you know and i just gave him a chocolate and he just looked at me funny and whatever but I, but in that moment i was like oh this is the law of attraction too the law of attraction can also invite kindness as long as people are not reacting to the surface level of everyone else so there are many points of attraction within a single human being and you can choose as a point of attractor yourself which one you're going to resonate with and that's some that i i still this is the first time i'm explaining it so i'm not very good at explaining it but wow there are so many different choices we can make when we interact with the world and when we interact with ourselves interacting with the world yeah you know and that was my big epiphany moment it was like wow it's all it's all about choice it's all about choice i know one of the things that i've learned over the years is that if you are encountering something that's like very contractive, right? A person full of rage or a person, yeah. and, and it's hard to not contract and shrink yourself because that's the typical yes. response. But if you can lean into something that feels expansive, gratitude, love, joy, whatever it might be. So that you've got these expansive emotions, like neutral is just sort of in the middle and neutral is better than but if you meet contraction with expansion almost always it will soften yes the there's a softening i love that word that's yeah. exactly what it was there was a softening and when you do that that's an act of service because now this person has a little more room in their soul mm -hmm. to just spread out and relax right like and it can be for a moment like what a great act of service to do and that too is like a way to be in the world right I remember in my and this moment was so profound to me. It was in my early 20s. I was living in San Francisco. I was sitting on like a little window stoop ledge waiting for the bus in downtown San Francisco. And this big big man, you know, he was probably mid 20s, a little older than me. He was probably 6'4", 6'5". I have friends that height, so I can kind of judge that height. And he just walks up to me. He's like puffed up, looking down on me, so menacing, like he's going to mess with me, like try and steal from me or like just lay into me. I don't know. And I was like in my own little world and I felt his presence and I looked up and I saw that look on his face and I just got this big smile on my face and I said, hi. And he just started laughing and then sat down on the stoop next to me and was like, hey, how are you doing? 
and was not like a pickup hit on me kind of thing. Yeah. It was just, but I, and that's one of those profound moments where it was like, here was this ominous force that was contracting down on me and I met it with expansion and it completely transformed it. Yeah. And the fun and this going back to, is there something wrong with me? Right. So now in this situation, when I experienced it, I was like, oh, wow. You know, I've been approaching this a little bit wrong. Let me like, let me like match their energy in a different way. Like, let me talk to people in a different way. And then I started attracting all these people that were like, oh yeah, it's all about love and light. And then all about compassion. And I'm like, no, that's not what I'm saying here. It's not all like that. Sometimes you do have to actually be like up in arms and, you know, stop things from happening. But then I was like, but then I felt so wrong about that. And I was like, oh, maybe everything is love and light. Shit. Like, why am I angry in this situation? Why do I attack in this situation? And so then I went off the deep end and then started doormatting because I thought something was wrong with me and everything is love and light. So I'm just going to be a doormat in the name of compassion. Mm. And as a result of which, again, I fell prey to people, to predators, right? And so it's so funny. It's like I had this big moment of epiphany. And then I was met by all these people who took it too far and who were doing it in a rather immature way. I matched that all because I thought I was wrong. And then fell prey again. And it... (laughs) And so this is an example of how this one thing can really change even the best parts of you into something. It, it can make even the best parts of you something shitty. Yeah. And, it, and I never thought of myself as thinking that way. I just thought I was a bad person. I thought I was a bad person. I thought I was a bad person and nobody could tell me otherwise. Well, and you try to, like you said, so clearly you try to match what other people are doing because, oh, this is the answer. So if I'm more like that, then I will finally be good. Yes. Yes. Yeah. But I also want to acknowledge that for a lot of people who carry this wound, is there something wrong with me? I'm bad. I'm evil. They usually are people who carry a lot of heavy responsibility for themselves. Mm -hmm. And they are hyper aware of every emotion and every thought, which Mm -hmm. is why they think this way. Almost every person that feels this way is all, it has some level of extreme sensitivity. Yeah. And, and that can be used for good and it can be used for bad. And usually the, the extreme sensitive people directed back at them. And it's like, that's not the point of sensitivity. <laughs> and then some people, of course, will, will then curl up and become a shell and be like, oh, poor me, I'm, I'm so sensitive. And it's not that either. The best parts of you, as, a, as someone who thinks you're wrong all the time, is that you carry a really heavy responsibility for how you show up in the world. You, there's a sensitivity to you. There's, a, there's almost a kindness in you, a deep, deep love and kindness that's buried by all this shame right? Yeah. You said the SH word and that is the, like, that is the kicker, right? That feeling, you know, guilt is this feeling that I did something wrong. Shame is this feeling that there's something wrong with me. I am wrong. Yeah. I am wrong. And so we don't often, you know, we talk, we have this concept of shame, but it is so threaded in our lives that most people are not even aware they're feeling it. And we will subconsciously pivot our behavior so as to not feel it, that we end up, yeah, we'll put on a mask. I'll I'll be I'll be Joe over here and I'll be Sally over here. And and if I meet somebody new, maybe I'll have to be George. <laughs> yeah. And and all to avoid somebody finding out the truth that we think, the truth that we think, but is actually a lie is that there's something wrong with us. Yeah, it's shame. And I would never have identified with that word because I didn't know that that's what it, but this, this is shame. This is deep, chronic, painful shame. And that's what it comes down to. I wanted to give a more extreme example, if if you don't mind, like of um, of where I thought I was wrong even though everyone will probably agree that I was wrong, but I wasn't. So I was a chain smoker. I started smoking at 17, almost a pack, sometimes a pack and a half, sometimes two packs of cigarettes a day. And everyone said I was addicted. 
they were like, oh, you're addicted. You need to go on the nicotine patch. You need to see a therapist. You're an addict. You're this, you're that. And in my heart, I was like, no, I'm not. I am not addicted. I don't know how, how to say this, but I'm not addicted. It, it's not an addiction. I understand that addiction exists. I understand what it looks like, but this is not an addiction. I would sooner say that I'm addicted to my phone before I would say that I'm addicted to cigarettes. And, and I couldn't explain why, because it, you know back then we didn't have so much language for all of these things. And I was like, if I really wanted, the, the way I know that I'm not addicted is that I can drop cigarettes like this if I wanted to. The problem is I don't want to. And I don't see that as a problem because I know on a psychological level it's helping me and I can't explain how. And then sure enough, like years later, I just dropped cigarettes. I, I dropped them like, like a hot potato. I just threw them in the trash and I'm like, okay, I'm done. And then years went by and I was, I was fine and, and I didn't pick up cigarettes, didn't do anything. But again, I kept getting that message that I am addicted, that I was addicted to cigarettes, that I was addicted to cigarettes. And, and I was just like, oh, but I'm not, I wasn't addicted. I, I stopped, look at this. I just, I threw it out and I'm done. And then I went and after a particularly painful breakup, I was vulnerable, I was open, and somebody was smoking cigarettes and I picked it up and I started smoking cigarettes. And I, and I had one or two cigarettes and then I came, I came back to the US and somebody again told me, oh yeah, your addiction has started again. And I was like, no, it hasn't. I just literally smoked two or three cigarettes and that's it. But again, I went into the shame spiral of look at that. I said I'm not, I'm not um, addicted, but now this person is saying that I'm addicted because I smoked one or three cigarettes. And so I must be addicted. I'm wrong. And guess what I started doing? I picked up cigarettes again. Yep. I smoked and smoked and smoked. And this time I smoked a lot more than I smoked before. And then again, everyone, they, they're like, oh, your cancer sticks. Oh, you're so addicted. And everyone <clears throat> hated me for it. And then I started getting into this habit because things are starting to shift. And I started getting into this habit of saying, I am not addicted. Stop saying this to me. I can drop it anytime I want. Stop saying this to me. And then, but people kept saying it, right? So anyway, so then again, one day I was like, you know what? I'm finally done because I'm at a level where I feel good about myself. I no longer need these cigarettes and I just dropped them. And since then I haven't touched them. And I have, and now it's really funny because every time I smell it, I'm like, ew, I hate right. the smell. I well, can't stand them. But this is another example, right? But now I know when somebody tells me about addiction, I'm like, I'm not going to listen to you. I'm not going to go into my shame. I know what's up. Right. Just stop. Even if I smoke another cigarette, which I likely won't because I don't like the smell or taste. But even if I smoke another cigarette, that does not mean I'm addicted. And you don't get to tell me that because I know what that will do to my psyche. Only now it won't have that same effect. Well, and that's one of the things like the work you do and a lot of the work that I do with people is we get rid of the, those emotions. We get rid of those shame spirals and make them not happen because when you're not looped into a shame spiral, you have much more control, right? You just said it. I'm totally going to share my smoking story too, because it's going to be, we are I like know. so simpatico. It is, it is I didn't know this. Oh my God. Okay. So, but you know, that those shame spirals causes you to do things that maybe you wouldn't normally do, or you wouldn't do as your highest, best self. And they happen so subtly and so quickly that people are not even aware of them. And they have many, many different coping behaviors that seem like normal. Some of them seem like totally normal behaviors. Some of them are like smoking or an addiction. Before we dive into, before I tell everybody my smoking story, <laughs> tell everybody how they can actually get in touch with you to work with you to help clear this feeling of there's something wrong with me. Yeah. So my website is the place to go. I, I don't really do work anywhere else except on my website. And of course, interview with podcasts and articles and stuff like that. So my website is the place to go, dilshadmetha.com. And I have this free seven day challenge that I put together. It took me a month of my life to put that together, but it was all directed towards this feeling of being wrong 
and not knowing where it's coming from. And then some people not even realizing it's there. And so I'm just like, I'm not even going to address the shame story because there's no point in going directly to the source because sometimes we need to like have that little opening, you know, the little openings for the actual message to come through. Because I think something more dangerous than actually, it is very dangerous to diagnose somebody too soon, you know, Mm. or diagnose people at all. And we are a diagnosis culture. (laughs) <laughs> we, we call it only we call it like judgment it's the we same thing labels on Criticism. we have to put labels on everything and I resisted that word shame because I didn't understand I couldn't understand I wasn't free enough energetically or psychologically to open up to even receive that message and really internalize it and sometimes it's not even shame sometimes it's other things too so this seven-day program I designed to create that opening you know Seven, that's why I call it the great unburdening because there's a monkey on your back. Yeah. Too many monkeys. And that, that was the intent of this seven day program. And so, yeah, it's just all about liberation because I think spirituality ultimately is about liberation. Mm-hmm. And if you all are want to get in on that great unburdening challenge, open it, open up your browsers right now and Type in Dilshad Meta and it's D I L S H A D M E H T A dot com. Now, I wanted to share because this is, you know, you bring up a really good point about the shame thing. I don't talk about shame because people don't connect with it. Yeah. Very few people, if they've had something really traumatic, they might associate the shame there. Like, um, being sexually assaulted or something, you might associate the shame with that. I know I did, but there are so many other ways that we're more familiar with it showing up the feeling like you're not enough, the feeling like there's something wrong with you. And, and these are much more tangible feelings. And we can't associate, we can't, it's hard for people to really associate them as a feeling like shame because. These things are identity level. It's part of who we are. So we can't really separate it the way we can separate. Like I feel mad, but I am not mad. My being is not mad. And when we feel like there's something wrong with us, we feel like it's part of who we are. So it's really hard to put it in this tangible feeling of shame that people talk about. Now, so for me, I was a smoker. And I smoked regularly for six years straight, and I was quitting smoking for eight years. And I would always start smoking again when I threw parties, social events. It was always a social thing. It was always a connection. For me, I needed a cigarette in my hand to be feel comfortable connecting. Yeah. And so... If I had a cigarette in my hand or a cocktail, I was fine. And th- those years I was a bartender. If I had the bar between me, that safety net, then I was fine because I, if I felt uncomfortable, I could walk away. You can do that as a bartender because you have work to do, right? <laughs> so I had this trouble connecting. And so I was sick all the time when I was smoking. And I guess it was why I kept quitting. And then I'd throw a party and sure enough, within like a day, I was a full-time smoker again, pack-a-day smoker. And when I I was coming home from Burning Man one year and I had lost my voice and I wasn't able to speak for 10 days, 10 days straight being at this big festival. And I used smoking as a crutch for connection, but my subconscious mind said, oh, well, that makes her lose her voice. So she can't connect at all. So then there's no need for this. Now I did start drinking a little more because I lost that connection because I didn't solve the problem. The problem was, is that I felt like there was something wrong with me and I needed a crutch to basically hold my hand so I could connect with people. Yeah. And, and so it lit because I would just quit cold turkey. It was that was easy, like all the times that I was quitting. And it was done in an instant when I no longer could use that as a tool to override that sh- feeling that there's something wrong with me 
because then I couldn't talk. I couldn't communicate. So my story is very similar to yours. And, and I would venture to guess that a lot of quote addiction stories are very similar. Yeah. I mean, I want to say that all the time, but you know, people and their political correctness. So I, I, I try to stay away from that, but I, I actually wrote an article um, for elephant journal. It's, it's called from chain smoking to heart liberation four little known insights into heart energy blocks. And of course you say the same thing, but you, you come at it from a different lens. Right. I come at it from a spiritual psychological lens. One of the things that I really love too, is we are talking about the same things, but we're talking about it through different lenses. And one of the reasons I love this podcast is you might say something and it's finally going to have some someone's going to have that aha moment, or I might say it and they'll finally have that aha moment. So the more lenses we talk about the same things, the better it is because we're all at different places. We all have different things that are important to us. So however, we're going to hear the information that's going to help us get to where we want to be is it's the point. It's the message. It's perfect. I love it. And this is part of it, right? It's part of that's respect. Respect is being able to meet people where they're at and speak their language as best as you possibly can. And so, and I wanted to read like these four insights that I had about heart energy blocks as it relates to smoking, but I think as it relates to many things. The first insight is being born or incarnating into a physical body can be a jarring experience. <laughs> Strong heart energy needs to be put to practical use. This is part of the heavy responsibility and kindness I was talking about. Consistent fear, harsh criticism, or judgment at an early age needs to be reframed. Mm. There's a strong connection between the sacral and heart chakra. And this is all related to smoking. And that just gives people a snippet, right, of, of how these stories can really shape around this whole idea of there's something wrong with you. Yeah. There's, some, there's something wrong with me. And there, and there isn't. There really isn't, but you're not going to be able to hear that until you see proof of that in the world. Right. And sometimes you have to hear so much proof. We've all seen those political videos where they go outside the political rally and they they trick them. They, you know, they don't really trick people, but they ask a bunch of questions so that their illogical logic gets revealed. Yes. And then and you watching it when you believe things on one direction are like, how could you not see it? How could you not see it? And that's what we do. We won't see it. How much evidence do you need to know that you're a beautiful, whole, wonderful person that has every right to be here and you're a gift to humanity? How much evidence before you're actually going to see it? And that's one of the things that's so important about the work that you do that and the unburdening and the work that I do is that we open the lens so you can actually see the truth because that mm. belief that there's something wrong with you is a false truth. Yeah. And it's a hard thing to unbelieve because all the proof you'll ever get is how much there's wrong with you because that's what, that's where you're at, right? It's, it's the ultimate right. vicious cycle. It is. It's it the is ultimate vicious. vicious cycle. Yeah. Well, it's like, you know, we look at, people who did like debate in high school and they have to argue from both directions. Yeah. So you can find, it doesn't matter what it is, just type in anything on the internet. You can find evidence to support what you believe. Yeah. And so we, our natural way of being is to look for evidence to support what we believe. <laughs> can I tell you this hilarious thing that I saw during COVID? Yes. This, mad, this utter madness of COVID. I remember just looking at all of the, the way people reacted, the different reactions to, to COVID. And there was this guy, and I forget what, what newspaper he worked for, but on Monday, he came out with an article about how teenagers were contributing to the rise of COVID and their beach parties. Three days later, he talks about the millennials and how their um, entitlement to travel is making the rise of COVID grow greater. Another two days later, he, he cites Chinese people. Another like few days later, he talks about old people and them not understanding boundaries. As a, and I'm just like, what is wrong? Like every, every few days, he came up with a different example to show how everyone else 
<laughs> was the problem to the solution. And he found data and he found examples of where this was happening. Exactly. I mean, you can find the evidence for any of it. I want to share this because I think this is a very valuable thing. I shared how I always felt like there was something wrong with me. And I'll tell you, I was in relationships with people that told me there were things wrong with me and I would deep dive and I would do the work. It's part of why I'm so good at what I do, because I would deep dive, figure out what was wrong with me, fix it, and then go about life until he, this person told me there was something else wrong with me. I'm like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> like I was replaying my childhood basically. So I always had that feeling. And so I recently, I just want to show you all the other side of it. And I'd love for you before we sign off to show another side of it too, because we've talked so much about what this feeling creates. So I recently have been having a struggle in my business, really like meltdown. I've been melting down like, oh my God, this is not working. This thing that I've been working on for so long is not working. And I mean, just utter total meltdown. And it happens. It's just a part of life sometimes. And the things that I said, well, what do I know is true? And I said to myself, well, I know that I haven't done anything wrong. I know there's nothing wrong with me. Remember that person that would always go searching for what was wrong with me? I know I haven't done anything wrong. And I know there's nothing wrong with me. And so because of that, because I didn't have to dive into making it all my fault, it was just a thing that I tried didn't work. So then it becomes, okay, well, what is the pivot? And as soon as I could see there has to be a pivot because this is not working, then it all just came crystal clear. But if I had been stuck and still struggling with that feeling that there was something wrong with me, I would still be in Meltdown City. I might have not even started. I might have canceled the podcasts and who knows what would have happened. I might have given up. <laughs> never, never. So I want you to know that there's another side of it. And if you're, especially if you're a business owner, not turning it on you and making it about yourself and how there's something wrong with you will allow you to be able to make the shifts you need to make in your business and see more clearly so that you can make those shifts. Yeah. So on your, of, of the other side of feeling like there's something wrong with you, what's an example of how that has how it has transformed releasing some of that, releasing all of that. How has that transformed something in your life? So it's interesting. On one, there are certain relationships that still bring that up. But I, what I've noticed is that I don't get stuck there. I don't loop anymore. Mm. I just look at it. I'm like, okay, I think I, I didn't behave right. Or I think that's there's something wrong with me in this situation or that I'm not seeing something correctly. And I'm like, I am just going to pause there and just wait for more information before I make a conclusion about whether whether or not I can change my behavior here. So that has been an interesting thing. There's a lot more, there's a lot less emotionality to it than it used to be, but the thought still comes up in certain relationships with, with women, mm -hmm. with female friends. Yeah. However, on the other side, in my business and in my closest friends, that does not come up anymore. And most recently, I was challenged in an in-person ritual. There was, there was a person that came who, right from the get-go, I saw that she was not going to be available to the energies of the rituals, and it would probably trigger her really badly. Mm -hmm. And so I was, I was trying to make it really safe for her, whatever. She still had this negative reaction to what was happening. And she immediately did like a shutdown thing. And normally in that situation, I would have gotten really defensive. I would have said internally defensive. I've been like, and the defensive would have shown up as over caring. And I would have been like, can I do anything for you? Like, I'm so sorry. Like, what can I do better? Blah, blah, blah. And try to overcompensate for this person's feelings. And instead I just let them be. And I'm like, 
okay, you're having this response. I'm just going to give you wide open space to have your response without rushing in to try to rescue you or make, make it better for you. Because secretly, what my, my agenda in that moment would have been, I'm trying to make it better for you so that I can feel better inside. Right. But now I already feel like I did an excellent job, but there's only so much I can do to, to like help you process. And this is your reaction to it. And I'm just going to let you be, and I'm going to send you off with love. Yeah. Well, and it's that giving them the space to move yeah. through their reaction in the way that they need to. Yeah. And that it's instead of coming in, right. It's that same thing. If you came in, you were like trying to fix it. So you were trying to contract it, but you opened up and gave it that space and I also learned from it because yeah. I now I was able to identify who my clients are not right off the get-go. And I'm like, it's amazing how when like these things show up. But now I know that, okay, when this type of client shows up, instead of like, instead of accepting them, I, I give them more of a heads up. And I'm like, listen, this is what we're likely going to do. This is likely how you're going to be challenged. Are you up for it? If you're not, then you can leave. Just putting those barriers right up front instead of accepting one, accepting all, which I used to do. Right. Now I'm like, no, this is, I know who this is good for now. And I know exactly what that personality type is. Yeah. Well, and that beauty thing is, is you're showing them love and compassion by giving them the space to choose. Like, are you ready for this? Is this going to be perhaps more challenging for you than others in the group? So are you ready to step into this? And I know for a per, I'm a person that would always dive deep in rituals and, and healings and all of that. Uh, so I would be the person that even if my energy was like, oh, this is going to be really hard for you. Like I was up for the challenge, but giving somebody that opportunity to choose is really powerful, really powerful. Well, I think here's a really good place to wrap up that you have a poem that you want to share and I would love for you to share it now. Yeah, so for, for people, the context is this is this was a wolf-inspired poem, which is why I, I, I told Janae about it. So let me just read the poem for you. And this is like post, there's something wrong with me. There's nothing. This is after you're on the other side. This is what it feels like. So the poem- You're being name, the wolf. You're being the wolf. So the poem's name is Wilding. My vision raises now. My coat shrugs off the race, the maze, and my neck is stretched to praise a chest unguarded. Paws pressed on the edge of this cliff inspiration. Gaps between my burrowed claws weave a wilder tale of creation. There it is, that steady hum of unquiet the grief, the pain, the shit, the stain, the ecstasy, the beauty, the glory, the juicy. I howl. Oh, I love it. Well, I think this is a good place to sign off. Thank you all for listening. Thank you, Dilshad, for sharing your experience, your wisdom. And remember, you all, tap in. Go get that unburdening challenge, the great unburdening challenge at dilshadmetta.com. And remember, when you operate from who you truly are, you evolve humanity. We'll see you all next time on Be the Wolf. Goodbye, everybody. Thank you for listening to this episode of Be the Wolf. Please take a moment to rate, share, and follow this podcast so that together we can inspire others to be the wolf.